0: When local governments began putting social distancing guidelines into effect in mid-March 2020, there was extreme concern. Anxiety about how people would do their jobs, raise their kids, and celebrate birthdays. The timing was bad for regular life. Except if your life included video games. Then the timing might have been seen as fortuitous. In the weeks after, the number of Americans playing video games jumped by as much as 115 percent, according to a report by internet service provider Verizon that was released in April 2020. A new psychological study has revealed why we choose the games we do and the effects they have on our minds. Video games have long been hailed for their storytelling, design, and emotional complexity, but as more people pick up their controller, two key questions emerge. Why are so many people drawn to the world of video games? And who are these games for anyway? Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about how Nintendo's Animal Crossing became the quarantine game everyone was playing. The March 2020 release of its latest installment, Animal Crossing New Horizons, came just as many Americans were accepting the idea of self-isolation. It proved to be the perfect mental vacation from the 24-7 coronavirus news cycle. As mental health experts become increasingly interested in the potential of games to help people, Animal Crossing continues to reign as the perfect lockdown relief during isolation, and people across the world can't seem to get enough. Our second story takes a closer look at the darker side of video gaming culture, specifically the latest controversy surrounding who games are made for and what kinds of people should be depicted in them. After an April 2020 leak of an upcoming video game, Speculation that a character in it could be transgender riled up a vocal minority and sparked new conversations about inclusion and empathy in video games. With games appealing to far more people than are represented in them, what does the process look like to spur a change in mainstream video games that should be for every last one of us? This is The Abstract. A look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, why we're all obsessed with Animal Crossing and why experts think that's a good thing. If that music is familiar to you, you already know about clever ways you can store turnips, or ways to enter CJ's fishing tourney, or how not to get trolled by Zipper the bunny. For these, of course, are the essential truths we've learned while playing Animal Crossing during quarantine. That music is great, makes you want to just go there. Let's, uh, Let's let it run. With Animal Crossing, you can escape to a deserted island and create your own paradise. You can explore, create, craft anything you want, from tools to creature comforts. The time of day and season actually match real life, so each day you're on your island is a chance to check in and find new surprises all year round. Made back in 2001 by Nintendo, it was almost perfectly made for coronavirus times. Two decades later, the simulation video game developed and published by Nintendo for the Nintendo Switch has become this soothing comfort for many as of late. A fictional yet very structured alternative to normal life. Or our new normal, whatever that may be. The March 2020 release of its latest installment, Animal Crossing New Horizons, came just as many Americans were settling into isolation. And consider the premise. Gameplay is open-ended, players have no defined objectives, but are instead encouraged to spend their time in the village performing any number of activities. Personally, this sounds like the perfect metaphor to my new life in my apartment during quarantine. But actually, it's long been a source of reprieve and fulfillment for gamers for the last 20 years. Nintendo recently heard from them upon releasing its latest Animal Crossing.
1: I would say Animal Crossing for me uh, has helped me feel a little bit less lonely uh, by obviously playing with friends, but connecting with villagers that have all these different types of personalities uh, that I feel are relatable.
2: Animal Crossing is an amazing game. It's a game that you can always just come back to
1: daily and just have a bunch of fun.
2: The chance to have your own place and watch it grow. I find it like a Zen garden where you can pick it up and sort of mold the world to sort of a calming atmosphere for yourself. My partner and I will definitely be spending time like after work, just building a town together, making a little progress. I've always played with family growing up. It's, it's always been a part of my life, honestly.
0: With the perfect amount of hype, Good reviews and the uncanny perfection of timing as everyone was forced to stay inside. The game burst onto the scene in March 2020 with a phenomenal launch. It became the fastest-selling Switch game ever in Japan, for example, with 1.88 million physical copies in its first weekend alone. It continues to fly off the shelves. In fact, Nintendo has seen such high demand for the latest Animal Crossing, it soon became almost impossible to find a Nintendo Switch available for sale shortly thereafter. Switches became the new toilet paper. And like that, America panic bought their way into an exciting new escape. So what is it about this game, and how did we find it at just the perfect time? Or did it find us? Joining us with all these deep gaming questions is Inverse's mind and body editor, Sarah Sloat. Hey Sarah are you do you play Animal Crossing? Do you have experience with this phenomenon?
1: Yes um, as of now I'm a passionate observer. I, I've watched a handful of people play and I have to say I love a good game but it's the first time in a long time where I've been pretty jealous of people who have um, like video game consoles like I really want to play Animal Crossing. I, I think it looks pretty fun it's pretty cute. I'm a big pokemon fans, so it kind of makes me think of playing you know pokemon snap from the 90s um but also like just being someone who lives online now i've just seen so many people talk about this game and talk about how much they love it and so i was really excited to dig into why they do
0: Yeah, it really piqued my interest as well because I also was just a very casual observer to it all. And this sort of opened my eyes to it a bit more. But, you know, like you, I hadn't really played video games in years. And, you know, in quarantine, it's one of those things that I thought could be an interesting, fun way to pass the time. And just talking to you just now, I'm obviously not the first one to think this. Since quarantine, gaming must be seeing this surge. Did your uh, reporting
1: find that? Yes. Verizon put out a report that video game play is just rising more and more each week. And I think if we look at, you know, like Neiman Labs has reported that it looks like while obviously there's interest there, people are showing a bit of news fatigue when it comes to coronavirus. And I think people are looking for new ways to spend their time and give their brain a bit of a, a bit of a break.
0: Yeah, because there really does seem to be this perfect storm drawing people to video games right now. We need, like you said, an escape from the 24-7 coronavirus on TV and social media. But there's more to it. What, what exactly do you think makes video games the perfect cocktail? One that's kind of like taking the edge off for so many people right now.
1: Yes. So I spoke with a researcher, PhD student, and an author of this really great online series called Psychology in Video Games. They go by the moniker of Platinum Paragon. And they put it this way to me. They, they broke it down into three main factors that are driving all this. One is like we talked about video games are immersive, they're interactive experiences. They let you take a quote, mental vacation from the news cycle. And just this like, you know, the alternative of a constant scroll of social media. Uh, the second idea is that We could finally spend some time indulging obviously millions of people play video games they did before the quarantine but on the other hand playing games is maybe something that some people saw as an indulgence you know maybe something they should they would make themselves feel bad about when you know there's no reason to do that but that said now that they're inside on a saturday they're more likely to turn on their console. And then finally, the idea is that they truly do keep us connected with our friends and loved ones. So with Animal Crossing, right, you can visit your friends' islands or invite friends to yours. You could host up to seven people on your island. They have a mail system that runs through a virtual airport. There's lots of ways of staying connected, which is really nice right now.
0: It's also very interesting because... Animal Crossing has proven to be a little bit more complex than one might initially appreciate. It's an experiment, essentially, in social behavior, in community and responsibility, things that are obviously relevant in real society. So it's not crazy to think that this is something that can trigger us to maybe take a minute and and value these things in real life. What do you make of its effect on pro-social behaviors?
1: What's really interesting is that there's some... Early studies that show that games that encourage in-game prosocial behavior result in out-of-game prosocial behavior. So people help and support each other. Their behavior extends to other relationships, and it's it's, it's quite interesting because you think of your virtual life just being some people would call it fake, but it's really not. You know, you're still interacting with other human beings, and you're practicing these. Lovely behaviors that it can extend to the people that you interact with um, face to face.
0: There was another aspect that was interesting, um, and you know, in in sort of lamenting that I didn't have a console, I almost wanted to dig up my old Nintendo set from like decades past. But, you know, what's cool though is lately you can actually stream a lot of those retro games. And that was something that was really appealing to me because, you know, as cool as these new, innovative, immersive games are, there also seems to be this draw to simpler times. These And this happens with TV and movies too, you know, returning to things that you loved as a kid. I wonder how much that is at play.
1: Yeah, totally. After reporting out this story, I thought about. And I actually, I'm like, Oh, maybe I should do it today. i um, playing Oregon trail online. Fantastic reference. Yes. What an adventure. <laughs> but I think the way that the researcher put it to me and I was like, she, they really hit the nail on the head is that the world is a chaotic place right now. Bad news is common. And so it's nice to return to simplicity. And I think there's a lot to be said about the pure pleasure of having a good time.
0: Yeah, I gotta say, I, I, you just triggered me with uh, Oregon Trail there, so <laughs> something to that for sure. Uh, really good look at this sort of uh, animal crossing craze and, and how it all kind of makes sense and, and ties together with the current time. So, Sarah, thank you as always, and yeah, I'm uh, I'm serious about this uh, Oregon Trail. I'm looking it up right now.
1: Great, I'll put I'll put you in my wagon. I'll see you out there. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Bye.
0: gaming world can be a divisive one. There's a small but loud minority of gamers who want to tell you that video games belong to them and not you. However, with the recent controversy surrounding the release of The Last of Us 2, new conversations about who should be represented in gaming could spark a new era of diversity in video games.
2: The Last of Us controversy. The huge issue of transphobia that is currently occurring in the Last of Us community.
1: Naughty Dog made female characters less feminine to be
2: trans-friendly. The
0: Last of Us Part 2, a game that's not even released yet that people are already mad about. And that's how you know it's going to be a success. (laughs) An April 2020 hack of Naughty Dog, The Last of Us Part II's game developer, revealed a number of major plot points, including the role of Abby, an antagonist for the first half of the game who becomes its protagonist in the second. As the game leaked spread throughout social media that week in late April, a narrow but distinct thread of commentary about Abby's appearance emerged. Broad shoulders and muscular arms led to talk that the character could be trans. This is despite a total lack of confirmation in the leaked game footage. However, that, it seems, was allowed minorities' cue to push back against a perceived woke agenda. Again, despite any confirmed mention of the character's gender, during PlayStation's look inside the story of The Last of Us Part Two, director Neil Druckmann offered this food for thought.
1: I know even within the studio, we've had a lot of like philosophical arguments about some of the events and what happens in the game. And I think in this one might be more divisive than the first game in a very kind of exciting way that I think it raises those interesting philosophical questions and asks the players to interpret some of the material that's there and see where they stand on those questions.
0: It should be noted that not everyone who's upset about The Last of Us Part Two has a problem with the character Abby or anyone else in the game who could possibly be trans. The first entry in the series sold more than 20 million copies, leaving millions of players to wait and judge the experience for themselves or at the very least see what reviewers have to say. But, as you just heard, certain gamers do have a lot to say already as the controversy opens up a larger peek into the gender expression sandbox. Here with a closer look into the gaming world and the latest controversy making waves is Jen Glennon, Inverse's associate entertainment editor. She knows all about the uh, gaming of the moment. Uh, hey, Jen, how are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks, Tonya. How are you? Great. So um, being a little removed from gaming, I had to brush up on this story a bit, but I did know about this vocal minority in gaming and the bullying and misogyny that goes along with it. You know, some of the gaming industry does have this reputation as a straight male-dominated space. But I guess the question is, what is it about this setting that creates this loud vocal minority to act out in such defiance? This seems to be a common theme, and we're seeing it play out here again, you know? When you
2: think of your stereotypical gamer, it's a teenage 20-something guy in his, his parents' basement. And the demographics really don't support that at all. Nearly 50% of the people who play games now are, are women. People play games as well into their 30s. So, you know, it's a much more mature, uh, you know, form of entertainment than I think is is generally appreciated. That said, you know, there's a, a very strong sense that, like, this, uh, this male audience, this kind of core audience, audience of what might be referred to as hardcore gamers is, is the only audience that matters and uh, that ruffling their feathers is deemed to be bad for business. Companies have made a lot of strides in terms of representing women, people of color, LGBT people, even gender non-conforming people. Some segments of the, of the audience are not ready for that. And you saw a lot of that with the kind of uh, memes that, that spawned out of this, uh, this leak of The Last of Us 2. And
0: when we talk about what's at the core of this, let's call it trash talk of this particular group, you noted that there were two sort of unforgivable things in particular about this character, Abby, for some of these angry gamers. One, that she's not conventionally attractive as a female, whatever mold that fits to a certain type. But two, and this was really interesting. This this is what struck me, um, was that it was a playable character. You have to be this possibly trans character. Again, not confirmed. But that's when it hit me as sort of an aha moment. Maybe that's what crosses some line here and adds some real spark to this ire. Again, this is some weird instance that's unique to gaming. And um, I just wonder how heavily you think that's factoring in here.
2: I mean, I think that's, that's quite a lot of it. You know, it's basically asking players to sympathize with this person. And while, you know, video games ask us to take on any number of kinds of characters. You can be a non human, you can be an alien, you can be a an elf who casts magic. But there's something that I think to this Particular uh, group that's reacting so poorly to to the Last of Us 2, where that's beyond the pale. They can step into the shoes of an alien more readily than they can someone who is non-binary or transgender. Um, and I think it is important to note that nothing in these in these leaks, nothing official from Sony or Naughty Dog, has said that this character is trans. It's just by all appearances like a muscular, broad-shouldered woman, which makes a lot of sense given the. Games kind of post-apocalyptic setup. Uh, this isn't a time to be playing pretty pretty princess. It's you know all about survival.
0: Right. I related to that uh, just being in quarantine. I mean, I've looked better. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> a lot of inside pants going on here. And you know, it ultimately brings up an interesting aspect of video game that you noted in your piece, which is um, how trans. Gamers see themselves in the games that they play, and it's in, and it's important to look at the people who lie in the middle of the gender spectrum and why diverse character creation is is worth considering. What's your sense of how trans gamers feel about gender expression in gaming as the current situation stands?
2: Trans people, uh, gender nonconforming people, LGBT people have been playing games just as long as as the rest of us, and the ability to either leave characters open, scripted characters is open to interpretation or to create your own character who doesn't necessarily fit in either the pretty, pretty princess box or the macho jacked beefcake box, I think is really liberating. And, and this is something that, you know, I think has drawn a broad cross-section of people to games for a long time. Even myself, as not a trans or or gender non-conforming person, I find the way that women are portrayed in games often quite limiting. You know, I don't think bikini armor makes a ton of sense. So that, you know, I think these people have always been a substantial audience for games. And this has always been one of the rare outlets in pop culture that allows for this kind of uh, non-binary expression. Do you think... um game
0: developers and gamers have made progress with, um, you know, trans inclusion in recent years. How do you assess the progress as well as where things might be falling short and what the future may hold?
2: Well, I think there's certainly been progress. There's a few developers, one of whom is Don't Nod, and they made a couple very successful games over the last five years called Life is Strange. The first of those featured like a, a relationship between two women and a game that they're working on now. One of the protagonists is a trans man. Developers are starting Starting and making an effort, certainly. That said, you know, the best selling games uh, continue to be stuff like Call of Duty. Fortnite shooter games that don't really lend themselves to much beyond this kind of macho dude role. So, you know, there's, there's definitely an audience for this stuff. And I think developers are making strides, but the audience, I think in some ways needs to catch up to where the developers are on this.
0: We'll leave it at that. There is more to the story at inverse.com. In the meantime, Jen, thanks so much. Thanks, Tanya. Head to inverse.com to read more about the latest in gaming, its effects, and its potential to help us cope. You can click on the link in the show notes for that story and all others we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at inverse.com. Look for The Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.